Howdy friends and welcome to Inside Johnny's Mind, the show where two dirty combo players strive to be a terrible influence on the casual commander community. I'm your host, Akia. And I'm Cam. And just a warning, we do swear on this show. So if you're listening with children who somehow haven't heard the F word, well, that's great. They should be exposed to the real world. What's our topic today, Akia? Well, today we're going to be talking about bolting the bird. Basically, we're going to be talking about resource denial in Commander and how it's important and why people aren't doing it nearly enough of it. Yeah, uh, it's actually vitally important, especially against some decks that really want to have a really strong opening. Yeah. And in Commander, it just basically never happens unless, like, me or you are sitting at the table. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then everyone gets mad at us. Don't, <laughs> don't yeah. understand. Kim. I mean, it's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Um, especially with some of the stuff we're going to talk about. <laughs> it doesn't feel good. Yes, but it's an important, important piece of the game. Yeah. And we're going to tell you why you should be doing this thing that nobody likes. Yeah, it's a necessary evil. Yes, absolutely. But first... We have the announcement for yeah. Card of the Month. <laughs> and our Card of the Month is... Rhythm of the Wild. You cheating motherfucker. I did not cheat. You absolutely cheat. fucking cheated. There are no rules, so I couldn't cheat. <laughs> it was our monocolored episode, <laughs> and you brought a two-color, brand-new fucking card to yeah. the table. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoy winning. Oh. But uh-huh. also, it's a really cool card, okay? Uh, yeah. So well, my card's still got a vote. Well, okay, and you're calling me a cheater because I'm pretty sure that that one vote that Turnabout got was your vote. I I'm pretty, pretty well, sure you logged into um, your own account, and then uh, I will neither confirm nor deny <laughs> these allegations. You cannot do that. You cannot plead the fifth here. I absolutely That's what you did. can. Um, but. The winner of the card of the month, sadly, fuck you guys. <laughs> thank you. Is thank you. I'd like to thank my mom, my dad, the academy. It's Rhythm of the Wild. That's the Tolarian Academy. It... <laughs> uh, yeah, Rhythm of the Wild won. Yeah, it's um, a good card. It is a good card. Not as good as Turnabout. But... I would say it's better, and I think most people would agree with me. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> but. We have a new pair of cards for you all to vote for this month. Yes. So, our card of the month this month are... What is yours, Cam? Uh, mine is a card that everybody in blue should be running. Uh, yeah, It probably. is a card called Dreamscape Artist. Um, Dreamscape Artist is one in a blue for a 1-1 human spell shaper. And uh, it has an activated ability. You pay two in a blue, tap it, discard a card, and sacrifice a land... It's a lot of costs. Yeah, that is quite a bit of cost. Yeah. Uh, but whenever you do that, you get to search your library mm-hmm. for up to two basic lands mm-hmm. and put them into play untapped. That sounds like a spell. It is very similar to a spell that people know. Yeah. Uh, what was that? What's the spell isn't called? Isn't it in green? Yeah, I think it's a green spell. It's Harrow, isn't it? Yeah, it's Harrow. So this yeah, is, is Harrow. On a stick. Harrow on a stick in blue. In blue. Yeah, you can just keep doing it. Repeatable Harrow. Yeah. On a stick in, yeah. in blue. Repeatable Harrow on a stick in blue. So you turn the cards in your hand. Into lands. Into lands. Yep. That seems good. It's pretty good, yeah. <laughs> um, especially, I run it in Moldrotha. Yeah. Uh, and so sacking a land and discarding a card doesn't actually matter. Yeah. So it just is pay three mana and tap it to 
ramp. And I run it in my mono blue uh, group hug deck, good yeah. guy blue. And just the other day, I got up to nine mana on, like, turn four. Yeah. In land ramp. Uh, in a mono blue deck. Yep. Pretty good. It's very good. We're both pretty hyped on this card. Yeah. Run Dreamscape Artist. Run Dreamscape Artist if you're in blue. Now, if you're in white, <laughs> you should be yeah. running another card. You should. Um, And that's my card. Ah, okay. Okay. That's so where we're going with this. My... <laughs> My card of the month is Orum's Chant. And what does Orum's Chant do? Orum's Chant is one white for an instant, and that instant says target player cannot cast spells this turn. That sounds like a different card. It sounds like silence. Yeah. But wait, there's more! <laughs> it has a kicker cost of one white. Okay. And if you pay that kicker cost, um, target player's can't attack with creatures this turn either target player can't attack with creatures this turn and they can't cast spells. and they can't cast spells so you pay two mana yep and they can't cast anything or attack with stuff yeah it, it's a two mana time stop yeah yeah it's pretty good yeah it, it, it's it's yeah. quite good yeah i have to admit that's pretty good. <laughs> um it's my favorite card in white bar none um, wow. And, yeah, bar, bar none. That's a bold statement. <laughs> and the reason it's my favorite card in white, bar none, is because I wish it was a blue card. Yup. <laughs> yep. So I could run it in Mizzix. Yup. Because that's what Mizzix does. Yep. Um, uh, this is kind of a little bit of foreshadowing for later, um, but we'll get to that. Yeah. I don't know. I think my favorite card in white is also later in the episode. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, this episode, as you could probably tell from the title and as we introduced it, is about Bolting the Bird. Yeah, Bolting the Bird, um, if you've played Magic for any length of time, is one of the memes yeah. of Magic, along with, you know, Stormcrow's the worst card ever. It's not, <laughs> people. It's really not. It's not. We were doing research for this episode. I found an angel that's way, way worse. Way worse. I don't remember the name of it, but don't play that angel. Dude. I mean, seriously, Grey Ogre is worse than... Yeah. 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 There are a lot of worse cards yeah. than Stormcrow. But anyway, that's not what this episode's no, that, about. That... Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, this episode is about Bolting the Bird. So... Yeah. Bolting the bird is taking a lightning bolt and doing three damage to target Birds of Paradise. Yep. Um, so, Birds of Paradise, for anybody that doesn't know, mm -hmm. is one green for a zero one bird. You flying. Can, it has flying. <laughs> and you can tap it to add a mana of any color to your mana pool. So very good. It has never been printed at anything but rare. And yeah. Yeah. And that's where it should be. Yeah, it, it is. It's very good. Uh, and then... Everybody knows Bolt. Yep. Red mana, deal three damage. Yep, yep, cool. yep, yep. Um, but basically, <clears throat> we're trying to extend the idea of Bolting the Bird to resource denial in general. Right. How to deny your opponent's resources during the game, and when and how you should do so. Right. And specifically for this episode, in a way that is not a stacks-y kind of deck. Exactly. Because um, that's the whole point of stacks. Yep. Um, so... Uh, there are tons of different dorks. Mana dorks is any creature that you can basically tap or activate an ability and add mana. Yep. 
they're so dreamscape artist would be a mana dork of a sort see this is where i think it's uh i kind of disagree with a lot of people i don't consider dreamscape artist a mana dork really i don't uh one of the reasons i don't uh, consider it a mana dork is that it's mana negative you pay three to get two you pay three to ramp yourself. Yeah, I know. Which is why it's ramp, not a mana dork. Um, but mana dorks are ramp. There are people that consider prime time a mana dork. That's that. I don't. I don't agree with that. Right? I Some people do. do. Yeah. See. <laughs> exactly. I. I think I'm probably in the minority that disagree with stuff like that. Yeah. Um. I think a mana dork is something like Birds of Paradise or Lanawar Elves or Elvish Mystic. Yeah. Those yeah, are yeah. the same card. Um. Or basically any little creature that you tap. And you get mana. Sure. Right? To me, that is a mana dork. Right? Because it's a little dude that doesn't do anything other than add mana. Sure, sure, fair. You're not going to kill somebody with your Birds of Paradise. Probably. Pretty sure I have seen, in Commander, someone die to a bop that had been infected up. Okay. (laughs) But then they didn't die to Birds of Paradise. They died to the shit that that dude put on Birds of Paradise. Right. They died to the Birds of Paradise, sir. <laughs> it's like a, fu- a Birds of Paradise with a... Uh, giant growth. Yeah, with a giant growth. Okay, sure. Birds of Paradise with a Sword of Feast and Famine. Mm-hmm. And a Sword of Fire and Ice. Uh-huh. And the Grafted Exoskeleton. Uh-huh. They didn't die to fucking Birds of Paradise. Yes, they did. They died to, <laughs> they died to the shit that Birds of Paradise was holding somehow. Okay? That's not dying to Birds of Paradise. Well, it has two claws. It can hold two swords. Somebody might die to Noble Hierarch. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's why it's a $40 mana dork. Yes. Um, um, in Commander, <laughs> I would argue that Noble Hierarch is actually a better mana dork than Bob. I would argue that Noble Hierarch is better than Birds of Paradise in basically every format, not just Commander. That's a tough one, because yes, the Exalted is very good, um, but it only taps for three colors of mana. Yeah. In in okay. Commander, you're probably running it in a Bant deck. Yeah. Um, probably in, you know, the an Exalted deck. Probably. Specifically. Yeah. So in that situation, I would say it is 100% better than Bop. But it doesn't have evasion. Yeah, it doesn't fly. That's yep. true. And it only taps for three colors instead of five. So I wouldn't say that in all formats it's strictly better. Is flying better than Exalted? Yes. You think so? Because it's evasion. Exalted can be stopped if you have a chump blocker. If you don't have an, in- if you don't have any evasion on the creature who's swinging in then the exalted doesn't matter yeah that's fair all right so birds of paradise and noble hierarch are very good yeah they are um but they're not the only mana dorks no they're not not even close no uh there's lots of smaller less impactful mana dorks such as lanamar elves um that just sit there and do basically nothing other than create mana they may as well be a forest so while we are encouraging you to bolt the bird, we need to put a little bit of, you know, some brackets around that. Yeah, there's an asterisk. Yeah, there. th- there's a there's a pretty big asterisk, and that's when do you bolt the bird? Do you the bolt the bird on turn two? Do you bolt the bird on turn five? Yeah. Do you bolt the bird on turn twelve? See, it gets, it's kind of like that gray area, right? Yeah. Where it's like, when is it actually 
bad yeah. for you to start getting rid of their mana dorks with your removal spells. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. Um, so, generally speaking, getting rid of a mana dork earlier in the game is better. It's really actually pretty bad for you to do something like bolt a Llanowar Elves or even a Birds of Paradise on turn 12. Yep. Don't do that. Because at that point, one mana probably isn't going to do a whole lot. Yeah, because at that point, they probably also have like <clears throat> 7 to 10 lands. Yeah. Especially with a lot of the ones we've mentioned, because those are all in green. Yeah. So they've probably played, you know, Cultivate or Kodama's Reach and all that stuff that lets them pull lands out of their deck. Yep. yep they've yep. been ramping other ways. It's just not good to use a removal spell uh, or damage to take them off of that one mana. Right. That's when you obliterate. Yeah. Board wipes work. Yep. Board wipes get rid of all of them. Yep. Right? And that's fine. That'll take them off, what, three, four, five mana sometimes? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, and all their lands. Yeah. And all their lands. <laughs> um, also, a normal board wipe will work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to only run obliterates. Great. Uh so anyway, you don't want to uh, bolt their stuff really late in the game because then it doesn't have as much of an impact as you need. If they do something like turn one Birds of Paradise and then you can follow that up by bolting it or shocking it or whatever, mm -hmm. then... Don't yeah, run shock. Don't run shock. Fucking don't run shock. Run lightning bolt. Yeah. Uh, which... we'll, we'll, we'll talk about why you should actually run lightning <laughs> yeah. bolt in your red decks here in a minute. And like bolt it as soon as possible. Because yep. once you let it... Once that... Llanowar Elves taps for three, four, five mm -hmm. mana. It's done everything that it needs to yeah, do absolutely. at that point. Uh, it's just not good for you to get rid of it. And that brings us around to what the whole point of this <clears throat> episode is, which is you need to get rid of mana advantage as early as possible. Yeah. Because these, thing, these things compound over turns. Absolutely. One mana for a 1-1 one, one that makes a green mana is not good. No. One mana for 1-1 one, one that makes two green mana... It's okay. ...is okay. One mana for a 1-1 one, one that taps and makes five mana... That's nuts. That's fucking insane. Yeah. The longer your opponent has to extract value mm -hmm. out of those dorks, the further ahead they're going to be in that game. Yep. So you want to you wanna nip it in the bud, as people say. Yeah. Bolt the bird. <clears throat> Bolt the bird. With specifically Lightning Bolt. Yes, with specifically Lightning Bolt. Now, a lot of people hate on Lightning Bolt in Commander. And I think this is a holdover from way back when it was not called Commander, it was called EDH, when people's mana curves were, you know, <laughs> yeah. centered around five. Yeah, it was like their average was like five. So, you know, toughnesses were averaging four plus and a lightning bolt didn't do it. Just doesn't do anything. However, as people have evolved the format and learned how to lower their mana curve and the importance of lowering mana curve, which we've talked about a little bit on our show before. We have. Toughnesses of creatures have come quite a bit down. Yeah. Uh, as it turns out, with a lot of magic cards, three toughness is kind of like a sticking point. Yep. It's like most things that are even up to like four mana. Yep. Will often have three toughness. Yes, they will. Bolt does work. Yeah, Bolt does so much work. Like, honestly, if you can use a one mana deal three damage to get rid of somebody's, you know, three, four mana dude, mm -hmm. that's 
really good for you. Yes. It's tempo advantage. It is an excellent use of one mana. It's the same reason people run Swords of Plowshares and Path to Exile. Yeah, exactly. It's one mana instant speed removal. And with the prevalence of Planeswalkers <laughs> yeah, that recently, especially this last year with really the brand point. new you know, Planeswalker Commanders, yeah. and people are running Super Friends left, right, and upside down. Especially after War of the Spark comes exactly. out. Exactly. War of the Spark coming up, you know, 36 new fucking Planeswalkers, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. one in each pack. You are going to see some motherfucking Planeswalkers yeah. in decks. Every fucking person at your LGS is going to have a Super Friends deck. Yep. Literally all of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, will, I will go on record. As saying that basically everybody is going to have a Super Friends deck after War of the Spark comes Absolutely they will. And one mana, chop three loyalty off a Planeswalker is really fucking good. And if it's something like an Aminatu deck, which I run, I run Aminatu as a flicker deck. Yeah. My average loyalty on Aminatu is three minus. Yep. So Bolt just kills her. Yep. Also, another thing that you need to take into account is if they're playing Planeswalkers that may have higher loyalty than that, all of a sudden they have to be really wary about minusing those Planeswalkers. Yep. Because if they use one of those minus abilities, you can just bolt it. Yep. And it dies. Yep. People know you're running bolt. They have to dance (laughs) around that. It also keeps them from getting to the ult. Very true. So if you see that they're going to ult next turn, you can be like, and you know that you can't get through with any creatures. Yep. You just bolt it. Just like, no, stop. Don't do that yet. Give me one, two, three more turns. Yeah, exactly. And then we can actually deal with this, right? And even even the Planeswalkers that plus for more than one, usually plus for two. Yeah. So you're still completely reversing. You're taking a turn away. Yeah, you're taking a turn away from what they did. Now, they still get the effects of the Planeswalker. If it doesn't kill the Planeswalker, the Planeswalker stays around. But you're not here necessarily just to end the planeswalker usually having a planeswalker around to do a spell every turn is not the problem the problem with planeswalkers and commander is people ulting them yeah i mean number of times i've you know hidden uh chandra behind my uh lands and just you know all of a sudden it's like oh i ult chandra (laughs) people from other tables look over and they're like wait what They let you do that? <laughs> yes. Because I presented enough other threats that they forgot about her. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how you ult a planeswalker not in green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or blue. Or blue. You can deep close gate. Yeah, that's true. So Bolt is actually very good in Commander. It's just good for different reasons than in other formats. In other formats, Bolt is used as a finisher. It's used to get damage through whenever they have blockers. In Commander, neither of those things are really good. Right? Like, three damage in Commander to somebody isn't going to do anything unless they're at three health. True, but if you have it as part of a combo like I do in Mizzix... Right, right, right. But, I mean, that's different. Right. But I, I'm saying that even then, if you include it as part of a combo... Yeah. Then it still has all the versatility we talked about before... Right. ...with the additional versatility of... of ending the game. Ending the game. Yeah. Bolt is very good, and people should play it if they're playing red. Yes. Absolutely. We've talked about killing dorks. But as basically everybody that plays Commander knows, there are more than just one, there's more than just one way to increase the amount of mana available to you. Yes. Right? It's not just dorks. 
For example, also in green, like most dorks are, you can ramp out lands directly from your deck. Yeah, I mentioned two spells earlier that do that, Cultivate and Kodama's Reach, yep. right? And even in other colors, you can use Burnished Heart or Myriad Landscape to yep. ramp multiple lands into play. Or uh, Solemn Simulacrum. A- yep, absolutely. That's another really good one. Um, um, Wayfarer's Bobble. That's another one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's tons of them. Yeah, lots and lots of them. Dreamscape Artist. <laughs> uh, there's tons of ways to get mana out, but one of the more common ones yes. is by using Mana Rocks. Absolutely. Most common Mana Rock being Soul Ring. Soul Ring. The card that is restricted in Vintage and banned in every format other than Commander. Yep. And yet people leave it on the motherfucking <laughs> battlefield. The whole game. The whole game, Gam. Yeah. You just have it forever. Until somebody, like, wipes everything yeah. or something. But, uh, yeah. People don't remove Soul Ring pretty much ever. There's one dude in our playgroup that will pack turn one Soul Rings. <laughs> but I don't really count that. No, that... Saying I lose the game so you don't get a soul ring, yeah. that that's a little overkill. Little little bit. It's funny though. It, it's funny. Um and it, it the gets, first time it gets the point through as well. <laughs> yes. Um, um but basically what we're saying is if you run single target artifact destruction, kill rocks. Yeah, soul ring is a good target. It's you don't only have to use that on their paradox engine. Like there's so many rocks that are totally worth you using your Vandal Blast as a single target. Exactly. Everyone looks at Cyclonic Rift and Vandal Blast yeah. as their overloaded spells. Yeah. To a lot of people, Cyclonic Rift costs seven, period. And that's not what it does. You can do both. Yes. I have cast single target Cyclonic Rifts many times just to save my white ass. Yeah. <laughs> or to get rid of a blocker. Yep. Right? Like, you've tapped out, you've played some stuff, you got two mana left, you know that you can swing through, but they got that one pesky dude that's stopping you from killing them, you can get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. Or get rid of a bounce of Platinum Empyrean for a turn. <laughs> yes! Right? I did that the other day. Yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> Cyclonic Rift and Vandal Blast don't have to be overloaded. It's totally cool for you to use your Vandal Blast, you know, turn one, turn two, to deal with somebody's early soul ring. Or early Mana Crypt. Or Mana Crypt. Yeah. Or Mana Vault. I would use it on Mana Vault. I'd use it on Grim Monolith. I would, yeah. I would <laughs> use it on Grim Monolith. I would use it on Basalt Monolith. Yeah. Not every rock is worth it. No. Uh, I would say Gilded Lotus is, but yeah. Thrandinum? So, for those of you that don't know, Gilded Lotus is a five mana rock, and it uh, five mana artifact, and it taps for three mana of one color. Mm-hmm. So you pay five, play it, and you can tap it for three green, three blue, three yep. red, whatever. Thrandinamo is a four mana artifact Mm -hmm. that taps for three colorless yes it is quite good but i don't know if it's single target vandal blast worthy i i honestly don't know i'm not just saying i don't know either we're we're kind of speculating at this point i think like most things in this episode it depends on what deck they're playing so if somebody's playing a really artifact heavy deck i think you can vandal blast like single target removal of thran dynamo yeah um because that thran dynamo represents potentially three other artifacts that they could play. Yep. Right? Or, for example, in my Grenzo deck. Yeah. My mono-red Grenzo deck, where I'm stealing other people's spells and I can use mana as though it was mana of any color to cast them. You just do whatever. It's, it's, it all depends. I think Thrandynamo isn't as powerful as Gilded Lotus. No. So it doesn't automatically warrant that single target removal. Uh, It kind of requires you to know who you're going against and what's in their deck. I would say often... 
again, depending on what is on the board and what deck they're playing, yeah, it would totally warrant you using a Vandal Blast or something like that. Sure. But a Worn Power Stone, probably no. not. No. I mean, the Signets, maybe, maybe not. I, th- I think you could do a Signet if it takes them off a color. Yeah, uh, that that's an important piece of this, is if people are relying on a Dork or a Rock for a single color... Um, and they have not hit a land of that color or yeah. only have one land of that color and they're in a multicolored deck. I think focusing on the thing that gives them the extra color yeah. is really, really important. Now, people are going to cuss you out for doing that. Oh, yeah. It feels super bad. They'll get really upset. But it's the correct play. It it's is, good. Yeah, it's the correct play and it's good. So some other ones that might be a little controversial. I don't think this one's controversial. Uh, Chromatic Lantern. Yeah, you should blow up the Chromatic Lantern. Okay. How about Commander Sphere? No, because they'll sack it they'll in sack response. response, right? Okay. How about a rock that taps for a mana of any color? One mana. Depends on how much they paid for that rock. Okay. So, Manalith. That's the first one I think of. Manalith, I wouldn't. You don't think so? No. I. A, uh, what if they're off a of color? If they're off a of color, then yes. Okay. I would blow up something like... Again, this, this falls... A rock that produces one mana of a color mm-hmm. kind of falls under the same uh, umbrella as Signets, because yeah. that they're kind of a rock that produces one mana of a color. Of a color, right? Because, because they have to pay one to get it. To yeah, the they're other probably thing. paying. A, I mean, sometimes they're paying a colorless, but they're probably right. paying a colored mana of one of the colors that it's producing to produce a mana of the other color. Yeah. Um, uh, like if they have three swamps and an Orzhov signet, yep. then yeah, it's great because then you take them off white. Yeah. Um, but if they have two swamps, two planes and an Orzhov signet, then maybe like, don't worry about it. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's probably still going to be very annoying to them. Yeah. But it's not that powerful. All right. So we talked about Gilded Lotus. We talked about Thran Dynamo, but we, we, we didn't talk about the last in the trifecta of Tap for Three. Uh, of expensive tap for three mana right. rocks. And that's Coveted Jewel. Do you blow up a Coveted Jewel, Cam? So I think you do blow up a Coveted Jewel. Coveted okay. Jewel uh, well, is... Well, that seems like a good answer. That is... <laughs> yeah, we can just we can oh. just stop there. I think there's a better play that you can make, though. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Coveted Jewel, for anybody that doesn't know, is a artifact. I think it's also five mana that comes into play. Whenever it comes into play, you draw three cards and it taps to add three mana of any color. Yes. So it's like a Gilded Lotus, but you draw three cards. Yeah. Sounds pretty great. It is pretty great. But also if anybody attacks you and one of those creatures isn't blocked, then they get it. Yep. And they untap it and they draw three cards. Yeah. So what you do whenever somebody plays a Coveted Jewel is you attack them, take Coveted Jewel, draw your three cards tap it for mana, and then blow it up. That is so fucking rude. <laughs> it's very rude, yeah. Uh, rude! It's super rude, but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. God, I'd cuss you out if you did that to my fucking coveted jewel. Oh, yeah, dude. dude also, if you have, like, a Kurok Clan ironwork, Ironworks where you can sack artifacts. <laughs> oh, God. Then you don't even have to use a card to blow it up. You can just sack it for even more <laughs> mana. It's great. Yeah. So rude. It's super good. It's so rude. Um, It's like, okay, <laughs> you take it, I'll just get it back next turn. Yeah, and then you're like, okay, and then I Vandal Blast it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you can't do that. Oh, Vandal Blast says you don't control. Yeah. So you Psychrift Overloaded, and then they can't attack you. 
Yeah. And then you get to keep it forever. <laughs> and then you blow it up when they get a creature. That's what you do. That's the play. God is so rude. <laughs> uh, Terminus but, or anything. Yeah, um, Terminus. <laughs> but yeah, so it's important to blow up rocks, but as you'll see is kind of the theme of the episode. It's important to know when to blow up rocks. Right. Because again, the Gilded Lotus on turn five... When they spent five and then maybe spent three on another thing. Right. Blowing it up just blew out their turn. Yeah, they basically did nothing. They they played a three drop. Yeah. Instead of a five drop. Yeah, they spent five mana to play a three drop. Yep. And lost a card in the exchange. Yep. That's really bad for them and pretty good for you. Yep. But, again, talking about late game turn 12. Yeah. If they have access to 19 mana. Yeah. You probably don't care. Yeah, like take, or, taking them off three is it doesn't do anything, yeah. and it, they don't care if you do it. Yeah. So that's killing rocks. We're gonna move on to what you can do in the late game. Yeah, it's very good. Heavily affect people's mana and people's turns. Um, and that is using a time stop effect. Yep. So everyone knows what time stop is. It's four blue blue. For an instant that says, end the turn. Full stop. Just period. Just period. It exiles everything on the stack. It gets around uncounterable spells. Yeah. It removes everything from combat. Yep. Like, it just... But, but, but. But. The best thing to do with the time stop is do it during upkeep. Yeah. To like, stop them from doing anything. Yeah. And when time stop costs two in Mizzix... It's pretty good. Yeah. It's the best counterspell in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so yeah, time stop effects are very powerful uh, in the early game and in the late game. Yes. They remain powerful throughout the entire game. But time stop is not the only time stop effect. Right. And so what we're going to talk about a little bit here is how to broaden your understanding of what a time stop effect is. Basically, we kind of divide them into two categories. There are time stops that stop you for a turn, and there are time stops that stop you for a round of the table. Right. Time stops that stop you for a turn are cards like Time Stop, yep. obviously. It's where it gets its name. Yeah. Uh, Orem's Chant does the same thing. Yep. Um, especially when, you know, you put it on a uh, Isochron Scepter. Yeah, Isochron Scepter. I don't know if that's... The same thing? I would consider that more of a lock. Probably. No, no, it's not a lock. I mean, kind of. It's a lock if you add more combo pieces. Okay, well, yeah. Um, But just an Orm's Chant on Isochron Scepter means you can say one person doesn't get a turn. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Per round of the table. That's fair. It only becomes a lock if you, like, Paradox and Jade. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unwinding Clock or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other kind of time stop um, is actually far more common uh, and that is the time stop that stops a person for a round of the table. Yeah. Now, these aren't usually as good as time stop because they don't prevent the draw. They don't prevent the attacks. They don't prevent other things that happen during their turn. Right. But it stops them from playing any spells Pretty for much. an entire round of the table. Yeah. And the first of these is what should have been the card of the month last month. Turnabout. <laughs> so, the reason Turnabout is so good is all of its modes. And one of the most important modes on Turnabout is tap 
all of target players' lands. Yep. You just tap all their lands. Yep. Now they can't do anything. They might have some rocks. They might have some rocks. But that is way, way, way worse than yep. being able to use all of the lands that they have. So you pay four mana, and during upkeep, you tap their lands. Yep. And now they can't do anything that turn. Nope. They can still attack. Yep. They'll probably attack you. Probably. But you have stopped them doing whatever degenerate bullshit their deck was built to do. <laughs> yep. And I mean, obviously, again, they still get the card draw. They could still yep. play a land. Yep. And then they have one mana, right? If they have no rocks. Um, but being able to tap all of somebody's lands is incredibly useful at instant speed. Yes, it is. Um, another really good spell along this line is the card Power Sync. Now, this is a counterspell. One that I don't think sees enough play. It is X and a blue for an instant. Counter target spell unless its controller pays X. If they don't, that player taps all lands with mana abilities he or she controls and empties their mana pool. Yep. So it is an X counter spell, which usually aren't all that good. Especially in Commander, Especially where everybody in- has an ass load of mana exactly. all the time. But... Uh, it's an X counterspell that they have to pay for. Yeah. They can't decide not to pay it. Yep. Because if they do, then they tap all their lands, right? And if they do pay for it, then they probably tap all their lands anyway. Yep. So you're basically using it as a time stop spell. Basically, you counter whatever the first thing they play is. You counter whatever the first thing they play is, and then you make it so they can't play a second thing. Yep. <laughs> so you time stop them. Yeah. Uh, again, they can still attack, all that kind of stuff, yep. but you, they can't do anything else. They can't win the game, basically, that turn. Pretty much. Another one, and this is slightly less powerful, eh, in a way. Um, it's a different card. It's a different card. So Exhaustion is two and a blue for a sorcery that says creatures and lands target player controls don't untap during their untap step. Yep. Now, here's the interesting thing about Commander. Um, players tap out. All the time. All the time, unless you're facing the blue player, and the blue player will let the exhaustion resolve because you're not targeting them with it. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't do anything against them. They're just like, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. I'd love for that to happen. The other thing people do regularly is tap all their creatures. Yeah, that's very true. They swing for, you know, an alpha strike or for chip damage or whatever. They, or they tap, use activated abilities. Yeah, they or... tap a mana dork, something like that. Basically, this time stops them and actually does prevent combat. Yeah. Because they can't, if they attack with anything, they can't attack with that again. Yep. Unless it has vigilance. But, exactly. You know. So it prevents them from doing anything for a whole round of the table. The problem is it's a sorcery. Yeah. Um, you cast it on your turn. You have to know when to pinpoint strike a spell like Exhaustion yeah. in Commander. And a lot of that's experience. Yeah. And also a lot of that's knowing who you're playing and what their decks are doing. Yes. Exhaustion isn't super good, you know, really early in the game. Exhaustion's going to be a lot better later in the game when they've tapped out, played two, you know, big spells on their yep. turn, swung at people. You're still alive and you go Exhaustion. And then we all get to do whatever we want. And you can't kill us. Yeah. Uh, another one um, <clears throat> that kind of fits in this category, but is really only good against the blue player, okay. <laughs> um, is a spell called Drain Power. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, drain power is blue, blue for a sorcery that says target player taps all lands and then empties their mana pool. You get all man, you get mana equal to the mana emptied this way. Yeah, you basically just steal their mana. Yes. The problem is this isn't a time stop because they still get to untap. Yeah. But it is a time stop for the blue player because if you drain power the person holding up counterspell mana, they either have to waste a counterspell on the drain power yep. or not be able to counterspell and give you all their mana. Yep. So it's it's really, really good against that blue player. Against everybody else. It's not great. Like, you can use it to try and propel yourself into a winning play. Yeah. Um, like, if you have one of those, like, a mono green player, mm-hmm. and they've just ramped an ass load of lands onto the table. But again, they've probably tapped all their lands on their turn. Probably. But, I mean, I've seen several times where somebody does that, and they're, like, running out of gas, and they can't play everything sure, in sure. their hand or whatever. And they have, like, six mana left, and they just can't do anything with it. Me getting six mana on my turn is pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, Paying two, get six. It's pretty good. It's not bad, right? Yeah, it's a pretty good ritual. That's like a seething song. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. So that's another kind of time stop effect, or the ones that tap all of their lands and basically stop them from doing things. Another way that you can try and deny resources to your opponent is by using counter spells, if yep. you're playing blue, to counter ramp. Yes. Right. And not enough people do this. And the reason for that, I think, is knowing when to counter ramp is a difficult thing to pinpoint. It's very hard to do. Because, again, you have to know what your counter spells are for in the deck. Yeah. Are you running one or two that are just to protect your combo or whatever other win condition you're running? Right. Are you running five or six where you have a little bit for interaction and a little bit to protect your combo? Do you run 13? Yeah, 13. (laughs) Is that the whole point of your entire deck? No, no. Mizzix runs 13. If it was the whole point of Mizzix, it would be 20 plus. (laughs) (laughs) And if it was the whole point of his deck, he would run Baral Chief of Compliance. I already do that. Oh, wow. It's almost like that was the point. (laughs) No, because he's not in the command zone, so you can kill him. I don't think I've ever looted off of Baral Chief of Compliance, ever. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. But also because he doesn't generally last very long. Yeah. So, but yeah, so you have to know what your counters are for and when you should be countering that ramp versus saving that counter spell for something else, right? Yeah. An excellent example of this, we'll just use a Gisela deck as... Yeah. As the poster child for when to counter ramp. <laughs> when to counter ramp. Yeah. Um so Gisela Blade of Gold Knight is four red, white, white for a flying first strike five five angel. Uh if a source would deal damage to an opponent or a permanent and opponent controls, that source deals double that damage to that player or permanent instead. If a source would deal damage to you or a permanent you control, prevent half that damage rounded up. She's brutal. Yeah, she's really nasty. But it's a Boros deck. Yeah. So the Boros deck is using rocks to ramp. So here is an excellent case for fucking Vandal Blast their rocks. Yeah. But also, they throw a Gilded Lotus on the stack and you have a counterspell. Assuming you don't run... Two counterspells in your deck. Assuming <laughs> yeah, you run, yeah. like, five, 
you know, a, a normal-ish amount of counter Yeah, spells. for a blue deck, that's generally about where I run. You counter the Gilded Lotus. Like 100% of the time. Because that Gilded Lotus will go to the graveyard. Yes, red and white have recursion for artifacts. Gisela decks don't. Gisela decks don't. <laughs> Gisela decks are like, fuck it, I'll just run more rocks. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's vitally important that you do not let Gisela hit the field. Yes. Generally speaking, once Gisela hits the field, it's hard to not die. Yes. And in a Gisela deck, most of the time, your opponent is going to be basically trying to ramp as hard as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. To get Gisela out as soon as possible. So why wouldn't you just counter Gisela, Cam? Well, because then they can just cast her again. Yeah, because they're ramping as hard as they can. Because they're ramping as hard as they can. Yeah. Whereas if you counter that Gilded Lotus, like we said, they're not really going to be running recursion for that. Yeah. So being able to keep them off of the ramp to get to Gisela is better than just countering Gisela and letting them keep the ramp. And this this is where politics come into play. If there's a Gisela deck, it's going to devolve into Arch Enemy. Yeah. It's going to be the table versus the Gisela player until you make sure that Gisela cannot come out. We had a game where it was me and another dude versus a Gisela player and a Rakdos player. Yep. And we still killed the Gisela player first. Yep. And we mean Rakdos Lord of Riots. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not just someone playing red and black. No. No, like Rakdos the dude. Yeah. That deals damage to everybody all the time. It's that Rakdos. And with Gisela, that's like, hey, all of you die. (laughs) Yep. So it's a really, really brutal combination, and we we still killed the Gisela player first. Yep, because the Gisela is the brutal part of that combination. Yeah, we can deal with Rakdos. We can't deal with Rakdos dealing double damage. Nope. That's just, that's just untenable. <laughs> but that's a good example of when you should use your counterspells to stop ramp. Another good example is a green Stompy deck. Yeah. Counter their goddamn ramp spells absolutely because if you are able to counter their you know there are smaller ones like cultivate and kodama's reach right you can still counter those that's still good to counter those yes. fucking spells you don't have to save your counter spells for like huge like scape shifts and yeah that kind of shit, no right? you don't have to save them that long it's not necessary at all because by countering those early, early ramp spells from them... You keep them from getting to the escape shifts. Yeah, you stop them from <laughs> casting the scary ones. So, here's another thing that people don't understand about green ramp. Okay, the green spell ramp. It's not only putting lands onto the battlefield. It's taking lands out of the deck. Yeah, you're thinning your deck. People don't think about that. Yeah. That side of things. You, They are smoothing their draws... At the same time as ramping their mana. Not only is that green player getting more mana, he's also not going to draw lands. Yep. That's really good. (laughs) And this is a reason, you know, hearkening back to our mass land destruction episode, why mass land destruction is so good against green ramp. Yeah. Because they've thinned their deck of lands, so they're not going to draw lands. Yeah. And then you blow up all lands... And then they're just and like, shit. And then they're shit. just like, shit. <laughs> exactly. Because they're unlikely to draw more lands. Yeah. They have reduced the statistical likelihood of drawing lands in yeah. their deck. And normally, that's a good thing. Which is why yeah. you should counter... Normally, it's very good. Yes. Which is why you should counter Cultivate and Kodama's Reaches. Like, so you guys understand how good thinning your deck is. Doomsday is a card. Yep. 
and Doomsday is broken. Yes, very broken. <laughs> mana Severance is a card. Mana Severance is a card. And if you are running a deck that has Mana Severance, it's a broken card. Yeah, if you're running a deck that has Mana Severance, Mana Severance is probably the best card in your deck. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's super good. Mana Severance, by the way, you search your library for any number of lands and exile them. Yep. That seems bad, Cam. Yeah, you take all the lands out of your deck. How horrible. I know. And I only draw gas for the rest of the game. <laughs> so you get to a point where you're comfortable mana-wise, and yeah. then you mana severance. Yeah. And if you're in a meta that doesn't play Obliterates and, yep. you know, Armageddons and that kind of stuff, no it's one punishes totally you. okay yeah, for you exactly. to do that. <laughs> you can just do that, and yep. it's fine. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh. It's It's... Very, very important for you to know when to use those counter spells on ramp. Um, and generally speaking, it's very similar to using counter spells on card draw. Yeah. If they don't have a lot of mana mm -hmm. and they're trying to get more mana, mm -hmm. counter it. Yes. If they already have an ass load of mana and they're trying to get a little bit more mana, don't counter that. Yeah. It's very similar to card draw. If I have very few cards in hand, if I have two cards in hand, and then I cast, you know, Sphinx's Revelation mm -hmm. to draw 14 or whatever. Counter it. If I have 29 cards in hand and then I'm trying to draw five more cards, it's probably don't counter that. Yeah, like, there's no point at that point. Yeah, it's just not worth it, right? Because I probably already have enough stuff in hand that I don't actually care that much about those five cards. Yeah. I'm just trying to cement me winning the game. Exactly. In a also very similar vein of... Uh, knowing when to use these targeted spells to stop your opponents from doing specific things. You also can use single target land destruction as opposed to mass land destruction. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not all obliterates. Uh, that'd be that'd be a cool deck name, though. Oops, all obliterates. <laughs> oops, all obliterates. That's yeah. basically what Jaya is. That's basically Jaya. That's what you should call Jaya is oops, all obliterates. No, her um, name is uh, Scorched Earth. <laughs> that's also a good name. That's fair. But yeah, you can use... Single target land destruction to keep your opponents off of very, very important resources to them. And one thing that the card that is the best at doing that yeah. is Strip Mine, which all of you should run in your deck. Um, no, Cam, we can't tell them to run a $20 <laughs> card all in of you every run deck. Guy's Cradle. Uh, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> run Guy's Cradle in every deck. No. Um, no. Yeah. What we mean run Tolarian Academy is. Too. That's banned. Well, it's a good card. <laughs> what we mean is run strip mine effects in every deck. And also strip mine. Strip mine effects <laughs> in every deck. So strip mine and strip mine effects are very, very, very useful. And again, this comes down to knowing your meta and knowing who you're playing against. Mm -hmm. But if you sit down at a table against uh, you know, a green player who you know may not have Gaia's Cradle, but they have that enchantment that flips into a guy's cradle. Yeah. It's very useful to have a strip mine type effect so you can keep them off of that, right? Yeah. And if you can't afford a strip mine, get a ghost quarter. Yeah. Ghost quarter is super, super cheap. And there's tons of different lands that do that. Yeah. Tectonic um, Edge. Yeah. That's I've run Tectonic Edge for years until I finally got my hands on a strip mine. Yeah. It's really good. There are also more expensive ones. You can run Wasteland, which is a worse strip mine. Yep. Um, and it's but, more expensive. It's, but it's running Legacy, so yeah, it's, it's legal and Legacy, so it's uh, more expensive. A lot more expensive. 
strip mine and strip mine type effects are super useful because you can keep them off of those guys' cradles. Yep. Uh, you can keep them off of cabal coffers. Yep. You can keep them off of glacial chasm. Um, look, I'm not the only one that runs glacial chasm. Okay, in the world, in our meta, yeah, in <laughs> in, in the world, no, uh, uh-uh, I refuse to believe it. Um, <laughs> God, I hate Glacial Chasm. Glacial Chasm is such a good card. Guys, run Glacial Chasm. Um, no, guys, don't run Glacial Chasm. Best, it's a terrible card. It's the best card in a combo deck, It's a, It's a horrible card. You should not run it. Don't glacial Chasm it. is better than Paradox Engine for combo decks. Um, that is a bold statement, sir. And I stand by it. <laughs> for combo decks specifically, mm. I think. Because, I know Paradox Engine is useful for a lot of combo decks, but it's not necessary, right? Glacial Chasm also isn't necessary, but it helps you not fucking die. So Glacial Chasm, for anybody that doesn't know, is a land. Uh, it doesn't tap for any kind of mana. <laughs> uh, whenever it comes into play, you have to sacrifice a land. It has a cumulative upkeep of pay two life, and creatures you control can't attack. <coughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> so sounds really bad, right? <laughs> The downsides. Not you, you, not enough downsides you, for this. You you would think that that much downside <laughs> would like would be enough. It's like eighty percent downsides, and then one good line of text. Yeah, and the one good line of text says prevent all damage that would be done to you. So good. <laughs> it's so annoying. It's. So annoying because it's a land. So glacial chasm is really good, especially when you run the green gifts ungiven. Yeah, uh, it's that's a really good one. I run it in Moldrotha. It's his lands deck. Um, it's called Realms Uncharted. It's uh, two and a green for an instant, and you search your library for four land cards with different names, and then you reveal them to an opponent, and they pick two of them that go in your hand, and the other two that go in your graveyard. Um, or in Moldrotha, they pick. Two that go into your hand, and two that go into your hand. Yep. Your other hand. So it's three mana tutor for four lands. Uh, any lands at all. So you go get Glacial Chasm, and then you get Thespian Stage and Dark Depths, and then you get whatever other land you Dak want. Dakmore Salvage. Yeah, generally I get Dakmore Salvage. <laughs> uh, because that's really good. Because then they're like, fuck, what <laughs> <laughs> so you put Dakmore Salvage into their hand, and yeah. you split up the uh, Thespian Stage Dark Depths combo. So, I, I think in that situation, the best thing that you can do is you put Dakmore Salvage and Thespian Stage in my hand. And then you put Glacial Chasm uh, and Dark Depths in the graveyard. Yep. That's what I've done every time yeah. you've tutored that combo. Yeah. I think that's probably the best. And Moldrotha doesn't matter. Which but... is why you don't choose me to pick the cards that go in. That's correct. <laughs> I pick people that don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. It's very important when you have cards like that, uh, that you pick people that don't know what what cards do. Um, um, but, so that's... That, that... <laughs> Rolling back to the actual topic <laughs> of the episode, that's why you run strip mine effects. But strip yeah. mine effects aren't the only single target land destruction. Yeah. And I think we need to have a conversation about do you run something like Aftershock or Acidic Slime, or do you run something like Stone Rain or Sinkhole? Right. So they're very different cards. Aftershock is a sorcery. It costs two red red. Destroy target artifact, creature, or land, and Aftershock deals three damage to you. 
Uh, acidic slime is very, very, very similar to that. It costs three green green for a two, two ooze with death touch. And whenever it enters the battlefield, you destroy target artifact enchantment or land. Yep. Um, very, very similar cards. Uh, I personally think acidic slime is better than aftershock. It depends. Like in like uh Mizics, where I'm constantly recurring spells in the same way right. that you can flicker or recur acidic slime. Right. There, it's roughly equivalent to the way an acidic slime would be used for one less mana. If you're in a Jund deck, which one do you run? Both. <laughs> you run both. I, I'd say run both. Um, what if you're also running a strip mine? I'd say run all three. Um, it, it depends on the Jund deck. If you're doing Jund Reanimator, you run Acidic Slime. If you're doing Jund oh, Good yeah. Stuff, you run both. That's right. If you're doing Jund Spells, why? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm going to make Jund Spell Slingers work, damn it. I'm not. That's a lie. No. I'm not going to do that. That would uh, be horrible. That is the sort of thing I would do <laughs> poorly. Yeah. So, do you run Aftershock or Acidic Slime, or do you run Stone Rain or Sinkhole? Stone Rain is two and a red for sorcery, destroy target land. Right. Sinkhole is black, black for sorcery, destroy target land. Yep. So, these are specifically single target land destruction with no flexibility versus more expensive, both in life cost for Aftershock or mana cost for uh, Acidic Slime. Yeah. Um, is... Very flexible. You know, Aftershock is one of the few cards in red that actually destroys a creature. Um, That's very true. Yeah. I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, it straight destroys a creature, and it's one of very few red cards that do it. You know, Acidic Slime does a lot of the same things that green cards do, killing yeah. an artifact or an enchantment, but it's one of the few cards in green that destroys a land. Yes. Also, it is a 2-2 death toucher. Yeah. Which isn't unimportant at no. all. Like, that's a damn good blocker. It enters the <laughs> battlefield, gets rid of the most problematic artifact creature or land, and then you have a chump blocker that kills whatever it yeah. blocks. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. And then again, like we were talking about, if you can recur it or flicker it, yep. then it's really good. But that's generally true with every card. I'm, I would be... Very troubled to think of a card that is worse when you recur it. Yep. Death Cloud. No. <laughs> that's still okay when you recur it. Man, what is a card that's bad when you recur it? That angel. Yep. That angel. <laughs> that angel's bad. That angel is really bad when you recur it. Holy shit. <laughs> but you can't. It exiles itself. You can still Rift recur sweeper. it. Sweeper. Rift Sweeper. This is, yes, perfect. What a shit card. Oh, what, what was the name of that card again? I don't remember. Look I'm going to look it up. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. Let's see. Oh. Angel. God. Haunted Angel. Haunted Angel. Two and a white for a 3-3 three, three flying angel. Yeah. Whenever it dies, exile Haunted Angel, and uh. each other player creates a 3-3 three, three black angel creature token with flying. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's a three mana three three flyer, which is already like eh, it's okay, and then it has a, a fucking huge downside. Yeah, for no, like it doesn't need the downside. Like that's the kind of card I'd run in my deck that gives other people creatures. Yeah, but that's a black and red deck. I can't use a white card in that. It's an old card. Yeah, that's why. That's why. Yeah, that's definitely why. Yeah. So when when would you use a stone rain or a sinkhole? <sighs> Well, you have a deck that runs Stone Rain. That's true. 
Why do you run that? Well, it's Mizzix. Right. Do you run Aftershock? I run Aftershock, too. Okay. I run Stone Rain because in Mizzix, it costs one red to destroy target land. Yep. And then I recur it. Yeah. So, generally speaking, if you're going to run Stone Rain or Sinkhole, I would say, then you're going to be using that card over a different card because it's easier for that deck to recur it or use it in ways that it was not necessarily intended to be used. Absolutely. I also run Stone Rain and Mizzix because I have an Alpha Stone Rain. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. That's <laughs> uh, one of your favorite cards. Yep. Uh, at least that you own. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, that's like pointed, directed, targeted land destruction, right? You should be running this in pretty much every deck. At least a land that does it. Yeah. And if you can get away with it, a spell or yeah. a creature that does it. Ghost Quarter's cheap. Go yeah, Ghost Quarter's quite cheap. So is Tech Edge. In green and red and black, you have pretty easy access to these. In white, not so much on a single target. Yeah. In blue, you still kind of do, though. You have cards like Spreading Seas. Yeah. And Spreading Seas is a one in a blue for an enchantment aura, enchant target land. When Spreading Seas enters the battlefield, draw a card. Enchanted land is an island. Period. So it doesn't get rid of the land, but if it's a Gaia's Cradle or a fucking Glacial Chasm or, a or Dark or... Depths, yeah. all of a sudden that problem land is an island. Yeah, it's just an island. It really, really would suck if all of a sudden your uh, Glacial Chasm, or especially Glacial Chasm, yeah. just became an island. And then they're like, okay, cool, I swing at you for 35. Yeah. And you're like, well, <laughs> fuck, I guess I die. Not only that, but it replaces itself. When it enters the battlefield, you, yeah, you draw, draw a card. card. It cantrips. So it's a two-mana cantrip that turns off a problematic land. It's pretty good. Yeah. Especially in a color like blue. I yeah. guess also in blue, you have things that can bounce lands. Yeah, but that's but... less good unless you're bouncing all their lands. Yeah, that's true. And that card's banned. <laughs> no, it's not. It's upheaval? No, upheaval bounces everything. Yeah. The one that just bounces all lands is not banned. There's a card that only bounces lands? Yeah. What a... <laughs> what a card. <laughs> what a world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> of course there is. Of course there is. So also, I want to bring up Blood Moon here. Mm -hmm. uh, Blood Moon is two and a red for an enchantment. All non-basic lands are mountains. Yep. Period. So that guy's cradle, it's a mountain. Taps for a red. Cabal Coffers, taps for a red. And all their motherfucking dual lands. Yeah, all the dual lands, taps for a red. Are now mountains. So that is kind of getting away from single target land destruction. And it's also not destruction. They still have the land. Yeah, in the same way that Spreading Seas is not destruction. They right. still have the land. Right. So you're not necessarily, you know, you're not locking somebody out of the game, hopefully. <laughs> Kinda, right? With how greedy people have been with mana bases yeah. recently. I mean, listen to any podcast. I'd, you know, if you look fucking at Dana Roach from uh, CMDR Central yeah. always talks about how greedy his mana bases are yeah. and how much Blood Moons punish him. Yeah. I, um, I fucking make greedy mana bases. Oh, yeah. But there's not a lot of Blood Moons in our meta, so it's like, I'll keep doing it. Yeah, you're one of them. <laughs> you're one of the one Blood Moons in our meta. <laughs> um, 
because I understand this topic that we're covering today, yeah. and that's why we're covering the topic today. You have to be able to deny your opponent's resources, and you have to be able to do it well, and you have to be able to do it with good politicking. Yeah, absolutely. So as we've kind of discussed, like just kind of harped on earlier in the episode, things that remove your opponent's resources or even just removal in general doesn't feel good. No, it doesn't. But our friendly neighborhood Rakdos player. Yeah. I, in Mystics, I run all those time stop effects except Orm's Chant that yeah. we spoke about earlier. I will look at the Rakdos player at the beginning of the game. Yeah. And I'll say, do you want to do anything this game? Don't point your Eldrazi at me. Yeah. And sometimes he tries to call me on it, and then I time stop him every fucking turn. Yeah, it works. <laughs> and that's also a really good point, is being able to notice who the problem deck is at the table, and kind of keeping some of those spells specifically for that player. Yep. So if you know that you're sitting under the table, and you know three of the decks here are like $200, and then mm -hmm. one of the decks is like $900. Yep. Because they have an ass load of fast mana yep. and that kind of stuff. That player is going to be much larger recipient yeah. of that targeted, you no, know, stop doing it. No, yep. <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you have a soul ring or a mana vault yep. or a mana crypt. Yep. Right? <laughs> I, I'm going to fucking take away your cabal coffers and all this other shit. So it, it can really depend, again, like everything on who you're playing with. And yeah, what that is. exactly. So. We've talked about mana a lot. Yes. Through dorks and through rocks mm -hmm. and just trying to remove that through time stopping people, tapping all their lands. Yep. There's another resource, probably the most powerful resource available to us. Yeah, probably. In the game, probably. Cheating motherfucking black players. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> best color in the game. Um, no, it's green. <laughs> We've been over this. Yeah, game. we already we already decided that. But if you're allowed to believe that it's red, I'm allowed to believe that it's black. Um, it's not red. <laughs> I wish it was red. It's 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 blue. We can we it's can definitely blue. We can lie to ourselves all we want. Yep, that's our God given right as Americans. <laughs> so there's another resource. Uh -huh. It's life. Using yes. your life total as a resource. Using your life total as a resource in multiple ways. We talked about this a little bit last week with Treasonous Ogre and how Treasonous Ogre is just slightly worse channel. Yep. And... Keep channel banned. But hashtag unbanned fastbond. Yes. <laughs> unbanned fastbond. <laughs> hashtag it. Everybody. Right. Yes. So we're we're actually going to do this on our Twitter account. Please. <laughs> we are going to try... I know we're a small, brand new podcast, <laughs> yeah. but we are going to try to get hashtag unbanned fast bond trending on Twitter. Wish us luck. Wish us luck. We'll, we'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> For real though, unbanned fast bond, it's not that broken. <laughs> and I, yeah. I mean, in commander, not really, because you're, nah. you're ending, I mean, you're emptying your hand. You have to have something to do with all that mana. I, <laughs> well, yeah i don't know maybe i'm biased because i have a lands deck yeah probably um, but let me tell you man fast bond and crucible of worlds and uh yeah okay when you when when you mention those two together <laughs> sure fast bond crucible of worlds and whatever that thing is zirin orb that's infinite mana infinite life you're an evil motherfucker <laughs>
<laughs> and it's not infinite life because you only gain one. Yeah, no, you gain two. Oh, you gain two for yeah. it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Zornor, Zornorb gives you two. Oh. And then play it and lose one and sack it and God, gain two why and play it. Card? And, yeah, it's really, it's super good. <laughs> you know with, what? With Titania, that's infinite five threes. <laughs> You, you, you know what? I, I'm, I draw gonna, my deck. I'm gonna take back what I said before. No, unban it. We're not gonna do the hashtag. We're gonna now. do it. I have access to our Twitter. <laughs> I have access. <laughs> well, that's okay because hashtag unban Worldfire. <laughs> I'm okay with that one. I think we're uh, that's fine. Yeah, it would suck, but I think it'd be okay. <laughs> Since this is the resource denial episode, we need to talk about punishing and stopping people using life as a resource. Right. Dirty or Orzhov players. Dirty, dirty black players of any sort. Yeah. So one of the best cards to do this is a card called uh, Leyline of Punishment. Yes. It's one of the Leylines. There's a whole series of these. Uh, Leyline of Punishment is two red red for an enchantment. If it's in your opening hand, you can start the game with it and play. That's like, the ley line text. Yeah. So all, all ley lines, all ley lines do that. Do that. Uh, and then it says players can't gain life mm-hmm. and damage cannot be prevented. Yep. So you might be wondering, well, how does that punish people who use life as a resource? You have 40 life. They have plenty of it. That's true at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Um, as the game goes on and on and on, players who use life as a resource usually have a suite of cards that gain them life so that they continue to renew that resource. Right. Um, Leyline of Punishment stops them from renewing that resource. Right. Uh, it is kind of like, imagine that uh, you have a bank account. Mm-hmm. And that bank account has $400 in it. Yep. Right? And you want to go buy some stuff. Yep. That's super great. And you go and buy that stuff and you spend $50. You yep. spend another $100. You yep. spend another $50. Mm-hmm. And that's starting to get really low. And you think, oh, that's okay. I'll just put more money in my bank account. Yep. But then if you just can't put money back in that bank account, you no longer want no longer want to spend money out of that bank no, account. No, you don't. Because <laughs> eventually that runs out and then you are fucked. Yes. Uh, so Leyline of Punishment, really good. It's meta-dependent, though. Uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you have to have a dedicated black player who's careless with his life, uh, or her life, yeah, um, and, you know, runs their life total into the ground and then relies on things like Grey Merchant or Kokoshu or... Yeah, or even things that are just preventing damage. Yeah, things Um, that are preventing damage. uh, Like, uh, I don't even remember the card. Uh, It's the... Glacial Chasm? Well, no, because you, you have to pay life for Glacial Chasm. So if you run your life total down to like five or whatever, yeah. Glacial Chasm doesn't help you that much. Yeah, but Leyline, I'll of, give you a turn. Leyline of Punishment keeps damage from being prevented. Oh, that's also true. <laughs> I'm saying Glacial Chasm isn't good for you. But I, I mean more like uh, whatever that white card is that uh, it prevents damage that would be done to you. Mm-hmm. And then you put counters on it. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Um there's tons of different ways to get to really low life and then just not have to deal with the consequences of having really yep. low life. Uh, and Leyline really, really helps that. The next card that we're going to talk about. We discovered this doing <laughs> research. And what a nuts card, Jesus, dude. fuck, it's a broken card. What a bomb. Like, holy shit. It's called Angel of Jubilation. Yep. It costs one white, white, white for a 3-3 three, three angel with flying. And it says, players can't pay life 
or sacrifice creatures to cast spells or activate abilities, which is that. You can't sacrifice creatures. Or pay life. Or pay life. No. Nah. And also, that doesn't even stop mana abilities. That no. stops Ashnod's altar yeah. and Phyrexian altar yeah. and Yehenny. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. This right? card is nuts. Also, <laughs> yeah. we're not done. Also, yeah. It has another line yeah. of fucking text. Just, just by the way, it's a lord for all non-black creatures. Yeah. Other non-black creatures you control get plus one, plus one. <laughs> Why have I never seen this card before, Cam? What a fucking nuts card, dude. Probably because you don't play white. Well, you True. play Amanatu, but like... Yeah, but Amanatu's the only... Yeah, and I don't think you would run this Amanatu. Well, maybe. No, not Amanatu. I mostly keep things in there that I can flicker. I don't think I have very many things in there that That's I can't true. flicker. That's true. Yeah. Pretty much everything in there has a useful ETB. But yeah, this card's this card's actually nuts. Uh, if you're running a white deck, probably always run this card. Yeah. I would say. It's really, really freaking good. Like, And that's... again, this comes back to... You know, our point of denying people resources, that's a resource we didn't even plan to talk about is creature sacks. No, we didn't. <laughs> it, like, like, nope. Honestly, we, we planned out, you know, talking about stopping people from paying yeah. life. We got all of our outline figured yeah, out. Yeah, all our outline figured out. We did research. We found this creature. We looked it up. And honestly, it's the creature sack thing that just kind of blew our mind more than they can't pay <laughs> like, life we didn't we didn't even read that, I yeah. guess, the first time that we found... We were like, oh, cool, this stops people from paying life. Yeah, 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 And then literally earlier today, like right before we started recording, I read the card and like actually fully read the yeah. card. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this card's nuts. Yeah. Oh, my God. And it's like $5. Yep. On Card Kingdom. Card Kingdom, sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, it's just, that card is Yeah, nuts. it's really good. It's so good. All right. So the last way you stop people from using life as a resource mm-hmm. is through chip damage. Yeah. Um, chip damage just means anytime you have a 1-1 one, one or a 2-2 two, two and you see someone doesn't have blockers, swing that 1-1 one, one or 2-2 two, two into them. Yeah. You just deal a little bit of damage here, a little bit of damage there. Yeah. Keep their life total low. And now they can't really pay life for a lot of things, at least not comfortably. Now, the problem with chip damage is, is no one bad. does it. It's not bad, Cam. <laughs> Nobody does it. Chip damage is an important part of the game, just like any other sort of resource denial. Yeah, it's really good at losing you the game. No, it fucking isn't. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like chip damage. I, I mean, obviously, I understand that it's good and that people should do it, but like, dude, if you're gonna be using your creatures to attack like little one ones and two twos, maybe three threes, that kind of stuff, and you're swinging into people, you have to be willing to accept the consequences of it. Yes, and I'm not. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> because okay, there's so many consequences to it, and like, yeah, you stop them from. Uh, paying life for things and it speeds the game up a little bit but it's also like now that person's gonna be mad at you because you hit them which just means you have to dance around the politics yeah i know but it's it's also like if you swing at them then now you don't have blockers for other people 
Right, and the person that you swing at is someone who is pay, who you know is running a pay life deck, and you politic the rest of the table and yeah. say, "Hey, they're a pay life deck. We should focus our chip damage at the pay life deck." Yeah, it's just you it's... don't like it because you don't like when I turn a table against you. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I need blockers. Man. <laughs> Gotta keep those blockers up. Also. You always say that I don't use chip damage, and I've hit you with Moldrotha and the Gitrog monster before. That's not chip damage! (laughs) That's fucking 12 damage! Look, at what point does a chip become a chunk, is all I'm saying. Okay? I would say four. Four? Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think that's true. Because less than four is less than one-tenth of their life total. Once you hit four, you hit a tenth of someone's life total. And I think that is an appropriate cutoff point to where okay. you're actually doing. Where it's like actually an attack yeah. at that point. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I don't I don't use chip damage a whole lot. Um, and I mean, that's why in Good Guy Blue, I give everyone three damage before I yeah. start messing with them. Yeah. Um, because it's like I... It, also, if you ever watch people play Commander online, mm-hmm. that's one thing that a lot of people do a lot yeah like especially if you watch the commander versus series yeah for example. they do chip damage all the time all the time they'll have creature and they swing and swing and they'd like they normally have pretty good like available blocks and stuff like that but it's still you know you can tell that in their play styles and stuff there's not a huge downside to swing yeah them. and they they don't punish it as heavily as a lot of playgroups do yeah they don't allow that to negatively affect their politicking in the way that a lot of playgroups would right and i think that that's an that's a crucial point here and one of the ways in which we want to be a terrible influence on you (laughs) is to consider trying to move your playgroup in the direction of accepting chip damage yeah as a socially acceptable thing to do yeah like i'm not going to take it personally if somebody swings three damage at me right right? you hit me with a three three it's like okay cool yeah same here i guess i take three and that does happen in our play group yeah pretty often actually it's like hey i swing it swing this at you hey are you gonna block if i like swing this yeah like that kind of stuff it's like nah it's fine it's like i have 40 life it's okay (laughs) and that is that is actually a mean little political trick yeah is like hey you know i need this effect some damage Mind you, if I just hit you a little bit? Like, Hapatra does that all the time. Yeah. And then, like, all the time, Hapatra does that. Because it's two damage. Yeah. It's like, hey, uh, I have to do... Like, she has to hit you for this to work. Can I... Will you block? It's just two damage. And they're like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's like, well, where are you going to put the the neg one, neg one counter? It's like, I'll I'll put it on that thing. It's like, yeah, sure, it's fine. <laughs> and then I hit them, and I do that, and yeah. it works. Yeah, and then you the next made turn, it their idea. Yeah. And then the next turn, I'm like... Hey, <laughs> you let it happen last time. Can I, will you not block if I, and, and then, then eventually if, she's done six, yeah. eight damage mm-hmm. to them. And they're starting to worry about commander damage. She never deals six damage to me. No. Before I notice. Yeah. I'll let you get maybe one hit in. Yeah. And one, then I'll, one or two. Then I'll fucking two. board wipe. Yeah. Well, at that point you have to board wipe or I'm going to kill everybody. Um, Hapatra is so fun. I need to rebuild her. Chip damage is actually pretty important. And again, if you're one of the people, and I know a lot of people do, that care about commander games taking a long time, yeah, chip damage really helps. Yes, it does. Um, waiting for everyone to get to alpha strike level and then kill each other, 
while that is a way to play the game, is a lot longer because yeah. you're gonna get you're gonna build up, build up, build up, board wipe, build up, build up, build up, board wipe. Yep. And that just extends the length of the game yeah. substantially. I personally don't care how long a game takes. Yeah, g- games like that are why I bought a six-way chess yeah. timer f- yeah. from Europe. I, I'm like a relatively patient person, so it's like if this game takes four hours, I guess the game takes four hours. Like I know, I know, and I know I'm probably the minority in that. See, it's I just, I am. hate watching people masturbate, and that's not what I do. It's not. How do I do that? Oh, well, I'm going to go get this land, and then it's going to come to my hand, then it's going to go to the graveyard, and then go to play, then it'll go to my hand, then graveyard. That's what I have to do. That's what I have to do. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I have to do that Uh for it to work, so that's what I do. Uh, (laughs) Anyway... Moving on. Just because you're not allowed to play whenever I'm doing that doesn't mean. That, um, well, no, I, I wouldn't mind you doing that if I was playing Mystics because it'd just fucking stop you. But nobody likes it when I play Mystics. Yeah. So. Which is why I build decks like that is because nobody's going to stop me. So I'm going to do this and win the game. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Um, the next uh, resource denial effect we're going to talk about is taxes. Yeah. Now, here we want to distinguish taxes from stacks. Stacks are permanent things that cause people to permanently not be able to play the game. Yeah. It's that, things like uh, like Frozen Aether yep. is something that you just never get that back. Yep. Um, something like Smokestacks where yeah. you are sacrificing multiple things during your upkeep. Every turn. Every turn. It's not a board wipe where I take all your shit away and then you have the opportunity to build it back. Yeah. It's... I'm just going to slowly drain you of everything that you have yep. until I win the game. Um, taxes don't do that. Taxes don't do that. And here we want to talk about why Ristic Study is so good. So good. People, especially in Commander, consider Ristic Study a draw engine. And it's not really. It does draw you cards. It does. All the time. But. It shouldn't, but it does. Smart players. Yeah. Smart players will pay for the Rhystic Study. Yep. Does that make it not a good card? No. No. There's a reason it's a $20 common. Yeah. And the reason it's a $20 common is because it's a tax effect. Yeah. Not a draw engine. The tax is you pay a mana for every spell. Every spell costs one more mana. Soul Ring becomes way worse at two mana. Yep. Like way worse. Like, yep, I yep, yep. I, like, I wouldn't play Soul Ring. I would. I don't know, man. I would. I, I People guess play I Worn Power would. Stone. That's true. People play Worn Power Stone. Do you play Worn Power no. Stone? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would, however... Neither play, do I. <laughs> I would, however, play a two-mana Soul Ring. In addition to my one-mana Soul Ring. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I would probably play a two-mana Soul Ring. I wouldn't like it, though. So this, this tax effect... Stop something that we commander players often don't consider that's considered very heavily in almost every other format. Right. And that is double and triple spelling. Yeah. In your in your turn or in a round of the table. Yeah. Playing multiple things. Being able to play multiple things a turn is very, very powerful. 
And if you listen to commentators on pro play, they'll talk about, well, he's going to be able to double spell this turn. Yeah. He's going to be able to triple spell this turn. Yeah. And talk about how getting multiple spell effects in a turn is very, very powerful. It's just this massive tempo advantage that you have over your opponents. Yes. Especially if you're like one of the first people to do it. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. That's another one of the reasons that a lot of green decks are really good. It's because yep. they can do that very quickly. Yes. And we don't consider it because we think, oh, it's a big mana format. <clears throat> Nobody cares if yeah. someone plays three spells on their turn. You should. You should care. And that's why Ristic Study is so good. Because by... Forcing them to pay an extra for every spell or give you a card for every spell. You don't really care which. They're either going to be stopped from playing multiple spells in a turn or they're going to fill your grip. Which means whatever the multiple spells in their turn that they played, you can now deal with those spells. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. Another thing that I just want to bring up here before we lose it is that double spelling and triple spelling is one of the main reasons that something like turn one soul ring signet mm-hmm. is so powerful. Yep. It's not just because it's ramp. Nope. It's because it all happens in the same turn and because it happens early. Yep. Uh, turn one, double spell, turn one, double spell. That is nuts. That's also why you blow up soul ring. Yep. Uh, but it, let's consider relative not the worst worst case scenario which is rustic studies countered um, right or immediately removed or immediately or removed but let's talk about kind of a worst case scenario with rustic study yeah worst case scenario you pay three mana one person doesn't pay for one of their spells yep the next person does and the next person does and everybody played one spell and everybody played one spell you know really early rustic study yeah. turn three turn three rustic study. study okay so that is a three mana sorcery that drew you one card and tapped down two lands. I would play that card. I would so play that card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a pretty good card. And Ristic Study is often better than that. Yep. So that's why Ristic Study is considered so powerful. Yep. Is because it will either A, tap your opponent's lands. Yep. Or B, fill your grip with your win cons, basically. Yep. It's it's just incredibly powerful. So while we're also talking about Ristic Study and whether it's a, a draw engine or a tax, mm-hmm. there's a card that we've talked about and everybody's talked about. Yeah. Uh, called Smothering Tithe. So good. Smothering Tithe is probably the best card in white. Quite possibly. This is what I said when I said earlier, my yeah. favorite card in white is later in the episode. It's this one. Yeah, I still like Orem's Chant better, but I like being proactive in a game. Yeah, that's and, fair. Yeah. It's just, Smothering Tithe is disgusting. Uh, it's three and a white for an enchantment, anybody that doesn't know, that says whenever an opponent draws a card, they can pay two. Two generic mana. Yep. And if they don't, I make a treasure. Yep. And a treasure is a little artifact. You sack it, make a mana of any color. So, in white, that's ramp. Yes. Okay. We have a disagreement here. We do. Um, And we would like y'all to kind of help us figure out whether it's a tax effect or a ramp engine. I think it's a tax effect. I think it's a ramp engine. I have very rarely seen people pay for the tax. 
I've seen people pay for it <sighs> zero times, maybe. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I, maybe, I, maybe like one or two. I've seen ever. it. I've seen. I saw one of one person in our player group pay for it twice on you in the same game, and those are the only times I've ever seen anyone pay for that tax. I think probably same. Yeah, like it just no one pays for it, which but, is why I don't consider it a tax because nobody's actually paying the tax; they're just ramping you. So. While I agree that nobody's paying the tax and people are just ramping me, the fact that it is an option says that it is not an engine to me. Says that it's a tax. See, because, because because to me, an engine is something that somebody else is going to have to do something actively to stop. Okay. Would you consider Mystic Remora an engine or a tax effect? They have the option to pay four extra mana for every spell they cast. They're not going to. I don't know. I guess Mystic Remora. I don't know, man. Because I guess Mystic Remora is an engine. Because no one's paying four. Yeah. But they could. But no one's paying two. Yeah, I know. But two isn't four. But two is a lot bigger than one for every draw. Yeah, it is. But like... Being having two less mana on your turn, assuming you draw one card on your turn. Sure. Right? Draw a card, pay two. That's a bounce land. Right? Yeah. Done. You still have all the rest of your mana, and I didn't make a treasure, right? Somebody else does it. It's a soul ring. Right? Tap their soul ring, pay the two. It only becomes a an engine whenever you're pairing it with other things. So if you wheel, that's a ramp engine, right? Because no one's gonna pay 14 mana nobody's gonna pay the two mana every turn for their basic draw but people did we've even said people did yeah twice well, in the i think i think the 10 fact, or 12 games i've seen you play the spell i think the fact that people have an option and that it is a realistic option means that it's a tax mm. i think it's realistic right because like i said a bounce land or a soul ring sure right like that's not that bad but paying four for a fucking mystic remora that's nuts tapping a soul ring and a bounce land for every spell that you play that's insane yeah that's not even every card that you draw that's every spell you play sure like i don't know that just seems like so this is our this is our disagreement and we'd love to hear from you hear what y'all think is it a tax is it an engine let us know yeah um, but there are more ways to tax people than just mana, in the same way that there are more ways to disrupt people's resources than just disrupting their mana. Right. This is a it's card called Oppression. It's one black black for an enchantment, and whenever a player plays a spell, that player discards a card from his or her hand. Mm. A lot of you may be thinking, how is that a tax? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not paying mana into it or anything like that. Well, it's still taxing you for yeah. casting spells. You are paying an extra an extra resource for every spell you cast. Yeah, you have to discard a card. Yep. And in some decks, that may not matter, right? In a Muldrotha deck, they're like, sure. But, or even in like a Mirren deck, Mirren deck doesn't care. But for most decks, discarding a card is absolutely a tax. Yeah. Right? You don't want to discard cards. Yeah. That feels really bad. Um. And it's, you're denying those resources to your opponent. 
Absolutely. And, you know, there are cards that require you to discard a card to get their effect. And in that way, it is an extra cost. Yeah. So in this way, you are paying one of your resources, one of your most precious resources, which is cards in hand, to be able to play your spells. And in that way, we both believe that oppression is a tax. Yeah, I would consider that a tax effect. Moving on to yet another resource you can hate out. The hand. Yeah. Get rid of people's hands. Yeah. It's pretty good. That's one of the best resources they have access to yeah, is their hand. Again, um, the best and the most precious because it's one of the easiest to disrupt. It's also one of the only secret things that yep. they have. They have their library and their hand. Everything else is visible to everybody else. Yep. So being able to take something from that, especially something specific from that, mm-hmm. very, very good. So in my Aminatu deck... I run a little card called Burglar Rats. Yep. Burglar Rats is one in a black for a 1-1 rat that when it enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. It's pretty good. It's quite good. Especially when you can flicker it a bunch. Yep. Um, you, uh, also, you also run Disinformation Camp. Yep. And that is a little more mana intensive, two colors of mana instead of one, yep. and it's an ench- but it's an enchantment, so it's harder to disrupt yep and that not only does the same thing as burglar rats but it draws you a card in the process yep very very good you're getting huge huge amounts of card advantage over your opponents whenever you do that yep now hand hate in other formats is very different in other formats just you you generally don't just strip their entire hand. No, you thought sees them. You thought sees them. You specifically pinpoint one card and you say that card goes away, goes to yeah. the graveyard, and I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. No, Mister Azorius player, you don't get your Teferi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In Commander, sending a card to the graveyard is bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, because often in Commander it doesn't matter. Yep. But if you can send two, three, four cards a turn into their graveyard from their hand, strip their hand entirely. That's super good. That's quite good. Because now, if they are running recursion, which everyone should be, Mm -hmm. if they have no hand, they have to just naturally draw into it. Yep. And in a 100-card deck where you have one of each card, that's not likely. No, it's really tough. It can be really hard to come back from discarding your hand. Along these lines, though, I think there's another way to pinpoint hand hate in Commander. And it's an experiment that I've been running in one of my uh, black decks. It's been going really well. It's been going quite well. And I've been experimenting with cards in a similar vein to the card Never Happened, which is from Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, Never Happened is two and a black. For a sorcery, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from that player's graveyard or hand and exile it. Yep. So this is a little different from the other ones that we've talked about for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, it's exile removal. Yep. It doesn't go to their graveyard. That's a lot harder to get back. There's like, what, two cards that get things out of uh, Rift Sweeper and it's like Pull from Eternity. Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Ever since they made the wishes not be able to get exiled cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there'd be a load of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
Man, I wish wishes could fucking. They used to. Holy shit. But yeah, so no, this is exile removal, which generally speaking means it's gone forever. Yes. Also, you can pick it from their hand or their graveyard. Yep. And in Commander, there are a ton of decks that love to utilize their graveyard. Like, a lot. Yes. Marin, Muldrotha, Carador, yep. right? All of these are very popular decks that rely on their graveyard. My contention is, never happened, and it's siblings, because mm-hmm. there are multiple three-mana exile-from-hand spells, are the thought seizes of the commander format. Yeah. It's three mana, yes, you can't turn one never happened unless you have a god hand, but on turn three is when people are starting to tutor to get combo pieces, when people are starting to draw lots of cards, when people are starting to get past the setup phase and into the, okay, let's duke it out phase. Yeah, and it may not necessarily be turn three specifically. No. But it's like turn three through five. Yep. That's whenever they're going to be casting those tutors and stuff. And you can never happen to the person who just tutored. Yeah. You can never happen to the person you know is a combo player. Yeah. And grab a vital piece of their combo out of their hand and exile it. Also, here's a little thing. If one of your opponents snap-kept their hand, yep. you can never happen to them without them having to tutor yep. or anything. And probably get something pretty good. Like, that's a little, you know, outside the game, like a little bit of meta. Yep. But it works. It works very well. (laughs) Um, The last way to hand hate in Commander are wheels. Yeah. Again, you're causing them to discard their whole hand. Yes, they draw. And specifically here, we're talking about red wheel effects that draw multiple cards. Yeah, Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Things that draw more than whatever they just discarded. Yeah. Gen- are, are what we're talking about here. Um, yeah, they just discarded a bunch of cards, and then they drew new cards. So they did draw new cards, but whatever plan they've been crafting, yeah, you have just entirely disrupted. Especially if you can get multiple wheels. Yep. Uh, multiple wheels in a row. Like, if you can wheel one turn, and then wheel the next turn, and then wheel the next turn, that's like your opponents don't know what the fuck is happening. Yep. They're just trying to do they're they're at that point, they're looking at their hand and they don't know if you're gonna wheel again. And they're going, Okay, if I don't get to if I get to play one of these things, what do I play? That's <laughs> why I hate the card Teferi's puzzle box. So yeah, Teferi's puzzle much. box is super, super annoying. Any kind of wheel deck is just yep. gonna be really, really annoying to play against because you especially if you're like a combo player or something like that, because they can just inadvertently stop you from getting your combo. Yep. They can you can just wheel you, you're like, oh sick, I drew into a combo piece. And they're like, cool, wheel of fortune. And you're like, shit. <laughs> yeah. I guess I discard this and draw more. Yep. Like God, that's happened to me so many times dude, in the same. Physics. And there are tons of different wheel decks. Yep. Uh, Nekuzar is the most popular one. Uh, um, the best Niv-Mizzet decks are wheel decks. Yeah, Niv-Mizzet decks are wheel decks. There are people that make Zedru decks that are wheel decks. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, and it's actually really good. Yeah. It's a very, very powerful archetype because you stop your opponents from being able to plan turns ahead. Yep. And taking that away from them is very good. 
So the last resource we want to talk about today is the graveyard. We've kind of danced around this a little bit. We'll do quick hits of the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, and then we'll talk about something that's slightly less considered when you talk about graveyard hate. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, kids run your graveyard hate. Yep. We're going to be like everybody else in the world and say run graveyard hate. Because you should. And it's good. And, and, and it's good. fucks people over. And it fucks and, people over. Yeah. Stops other and, people from winning the game. And yep. That's pretty good. Stop the Muldrotha player. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> or the Marin player or the Kirador player yeah. or whoever. Or even um, my Mizzix deck. My Mizzix deck yeah. is not a graveyard deck. Even, but... even like if I was playing Xur and I hit an early rest in peace yep. and you're playing Mizzix, you were like, fucking, we got to get rid of that. Yep. <laughs> and that's not even a graveyard deck. No, it, but I recur spells. Yeah. You do a lot. Yeah. And so it's like, it's necessary. Like, it's it can be brutal to get an early or very difficult to remove graveyard hate card out there, um, because recursion is so prevalent in the format. Yes, because it's important, and like we've said before in this episode, you should be recurring things. Yes, do that. But you should always also always be ready to stop the other players from recurring things. Yeah, especially if you're not in a recursion deck, because that means the recursion deck's going to do it a hell of a lot better than you will. Yep. So it's okay to take a little hit on mm-hmm. yours to shut them down. Yes, it is. So the first one we're going to talk about is Scavenger Grounds. This is easily the most splashable graveyard hate card in the oh, game. Oh, yeah. Easily. Because um, in literally every deck. Yep. It's a land desert uh, that taps for colorless and has two tap sack a desert, any desert. Doesn't have to be this one. Exile all cards from all graveyards. Yep. So... Normally, you're probably going to be sacking Scavenger Grounds to itself. Yep. Normally. But if you're running the Cycling Deserts, if you're running any of the other deserts from Amonkhet, if you're yeah. running Desert. Yeah. Um, there are a ton. And some of them are pretty good. Yeah. It's just, it's super good, super splashable. It doesn't take up a card slot. Yep. It's just a colorless land. Like, it taps for a colorless, so mm-hmm. you still get mana out of it. It's not pure utility. It's really good. It's also really cheap. So yes. So, if you're going to... Run any kind of graveyard hate. That's a good one to put. In I deck. bought out Card Kingdom a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, they probably restocked, but probably they're pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah, sponsor us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and then the last two we're going to talk about are super ubiquitous. We have Rest in Peace, one in white. When Rest in Peace enters the battlefield, exile all cards from all graveyards, and whenever a card would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. Yep, it never hits the graveyard. Nope. Exile everything out of all graveyards, and nothing can go to graveyards ever again. It's kind of like the, like, granddaddy of graveyard hate. Yep, and, you know, that instead clause means that there are no dies triggers. Yeah, nothing can die. So if you have something that makes tokens when it dies, no it doesn't. Yep. It's, it's so even if they're not trying to recur, but they are like sacrificing tokens over and over and over again. Yeah. Rest in peace just absolutely fucks them. Yeah. Zulaport Cutthroat doesn't do anything. Yep. Nothing. Not Blood Artist doesn't do anything. Yep. It's rest in peace is brutal. And then the final one is another artifact. It's Relic of Progenitus. Pretty much everyone knows what this does. Yeah. Um, but it's important to at least touch on it. It's a one mana artifact. Uh, you can tap it. Target player exiles a card from his or her graveyard. They get to pick the card. Yep. That's worth noting. And then you can pay one and exile Relic of Progenitus to exile all cards from all graveyards and draw a card. Popper All-Star. Yeah, it's really, really good in Popper. I have a Exhumed deck, and that card fucking shuts that down. 
One thing that I also think is worth noting, since we're telling people to run graveyard hate, because they should run graveyard hate. Yep, run run your graveyard hate. <laughs> is that three of the cards we've just mentioned are colorless. Yep. One of them's a land. Yep. You so, should at least be running scavenger grounds. At least. And also probably relic. Yep. Because it's also cheap. And I mean, if you're in black, run Bajukabog. Yeah, Bajukabog. That's another super good one. Yep. Uh, if you are in black and like really want to, you can run like Leyline. Yep. Um, or any of the other. There's a couple different ones. There's a that bunch that. that, you know. Yeah. We're trying to do quick hits here. If we yeah. talk about Graveyard Hate, we'll There's be here all day. There's a ton of them. Ton, ton, ton of yep. them. But yeah, run Graveyard Hate. So the other kind of Graveyard Hate that most people don't think about are the blue wheels. Yeah. Not Windfall. Not Windfall. We're talking about your shuffle everything into the library, draw sevens. Yeah. So um, we're talking Days Undoing, Time Spiral, things of that nature. Time uh, Twister. Time. T- well, nobody's going to... Look, we don't know. Fine. Time Twister 2. Look, if you're rich, <laughs> fucking run Time Twister. <laughs> and you just fucking slam that shit down on the table at your LGS. Well, you might not want to slam it because it's worth... Triple sleeve it and <laughs> slam it on the table. Put it in the in the fucking hard sleeves. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, top loaders? Yeah, put, put them in the top loaders and then slam it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that it's graveyard hate is it takes away their graveyard. Graveyard decks want their cards in their graveyard so they have easy access to them. Yep. If you shuffle their graveyard in hand into their library, you've taken away maybe a 15-card hand and a 4-card hand. Yeah. And giving them a seven card hand instead. Yep. It's really good. And it isn't as backbreaking as some of the ones we've mentioned so far. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, I'm just going to use Time Twister because it's, you know, yeah. the easiest. Time Twister isn't as backbreaking as Rest in Peace. Nope. For a graveyard deck. But if you don't have access to, you know, a Rest in Peace, you're not in those colors or whatever. And <laughs> you can afford a Time Twister. No, I'm kidding. Uh, if you can actually run a Days Undoing or something like that, yeah. then that's still a really good way to disrupt that graveyard player. Really, really good. All right. So that is resource denial in a very, very large nutshell. Um, yeah. We we want to, you know, kind of conclude here by saying that all resource denial is situational. We've touched on this over the course of the episode But everything that you do with regards to resource denial is going to depend on your meta. It's going to depend on your deck, on your deck building style, on your budget, (laughs) budget, on your commander, on all of these things, on the point of the game that it's in. Like we were talking about when to kill mana dorks and stuff like that. All of this is situational. And one of the most important things to do as a Johnny, if you don't want your combos to constantly be disrupted if you don't want your opponents to just outrace you yeah you have to know when to disrupt their mana so you can do your cool thing yeah you built the deck to do a cool thing so like do the cool thing right like that's the whole point of you being here and playing the game is for you to do the cool thing but you have to eat your vegetables too yeah you gotta run removal you can't have 65 cards that are all like gas and combo pieces (laughs) and then 35 lands no 
That doesn't win. That no, doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything because someone will disrupt you the whole game. Yeah, and then they'll win. Yeah. And you just can't do that. You got to have interaction. You got to have the ability to slow your opponents down to say, no, don't do that. At least not yet. Yep. <laughs> right? We need a couple extra turns as a table for us to be able to process what you're about to do. Right? Right? You um, need to be able to cut them off the turn you know they're going to go off time stop them yeah. you need to be able to know that the green deck is going to ramp out using dorks and bolt the motherfucking bird yeah uh, and that's the whole point here is bolt the damn bird is bolt the bird man vandal blast their soul ring like, time stop the combo player <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's vitally important it's also really really healthy for a meta to have people that do this mm-hmm because it forces everyone to develop their play style and to evolve their decks into a um, tighter and like a better version of themselves. Yes. Right? It teaches people to be better players. Yeah. It teaches people to be better deck builders. Yeah. It discourages just straight net decking. Now, I know there's a big argument about whether net decking is okay or not okay. I don't think it's a problem if you're a new player and you look up a deck online and you want to build that deck. That's fine. But once you've built it, you need to, number one, learn how to play it. And number two, you need to be able to tweak it to your meta. Yeah. Because someone built that deck in their meta. With their context and their understanding of everything. Exactly. So if that dude's playing a green-blue deck and you just pulled it off the internet and you're like, hmm, this deck has 19 counterspells in it. And then you look at your meta and you're like, I don't feel like I need 19 counter spells in this deck. Take some of them out, right? Yeah. Like make the deck appropriate for your meta. Absolutely. Right. And also another uh, easier way normally to judge that is if you look at the deck that you want to build and then you look at the decks that you're going to be playing against mm-hmm. and your deck costs 200% more than theirs does. Yep. Maybe change your deck. Maybe. Or build a less powerful deck. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, well, I'm, I'm. Oh, you mean like yeah. have that deck and build a? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All that too. But like, understand the power level that you're working at, and it isn't necessarily always correct to use your removal spells on some of their resources if you know that they're not really going to be abusing them as much as somebody else. Yeah. Right. It's all kind of knowing your meta and knowing who you're playing against. Um, and and that's that's the entire point of our show here. We want to be a bad influence on you in the way that we want you to actually be a better player. Yeah. The things that we're telling you to do are things that are going to make people upset. We're we're talking about controversial issues in magic and how as a Johnny you need to be willing to do those controversial things. Yeah. And like that's not even a spiky thing. No. Like, wanting to be a good player and, you know, know how your deck works and how other people's deck works is, like, inherently a Johnny thing. Yeah, it is. You know? It's wanting to understand the mechanics of the game to such a level that you can manipulate them and bend them to do cool shit. (laughs) Exactly. And to do that, you have to know what the fuck you're talking about, you know? Johnnies want to express themselves through the medium of magic. Yeah, exactly. And you can't express yourself if you have 
been counterspelled on turn two to stop your setup. You can't express yourself if you don't stop the big black mana deck from ramping into oblivion and tormenting torment. yeah, yeah torment you for or a billion or yeah you know you you can't be a johnny without acknowledging the other archetypes number 1 yeah and number 2 acknowledging the other ways of playing the game not yeah. just archetypes but the control player at the table you need to be willing and able to work with them politically or deal with them mechanically yeah absolutely also it's like you're you're not better for being a johnny no you know that timmy over there will kill the fuck out of you yeah he will <laughs> like he will kill the fuck out of you and i know us johnnies have superiority complexes <laughs> even over even above and beyond the spike man the spike yeah. the spike wants to win but the spike knows exactly how good they are yeah. And doesn't overinflate their sense of goodness because they understand exactly how yeah. good they are. Yeah. They can compare themselves to other players and be like, you know, I'm a lot worse than that guy, I'm a lot better than that guy. They probably won't say this out loud. No. But they, but they think it. They think it and they know these things. Johnny's John whenever a Johnny <laughs> finds some weird card from Ice Age yep. and another card from the dark. And then a card that was just printed in, you know, coming at War of the Spark or whatever. Yep. And they're like, oh my god, that's that's broken. You can do that infinite times. It's really easy to be like, god, I'm so good at this game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I've been playing a very long time. Cam, not I've as not. long. But I've been playing a very, very long time. And I... I've been through the, damn, I'm so good at this game, <laughs> you know, thing. But, you know, I I learned through trial and error that I'm not actually all that much better than other people in my meta. Yeah. You know, Cam is one of the best players in our meta, oh, and he's you. been playing for a year. I've been playing for 13 years, and he is up at my level. You know, there are other people who have been playing for longer than me who are well above my level. Yeah. And I know people back in other metas who played a lot less than me who were better than me. Like, straight better. Yeah. There's there's some there's some people that play serious magic, dude. Yep. And that they know their shit. And that's that's it's really impressive whenever people Whenever you meet people like that. But the whole point of this show, and especially this episode, is you have to be able to pay attention to the people around you. You can't hyper-focus on your super cool combo, yeah, yeah. on your super cool card engine, on your super cool interaction that you discovered or you found when discussing on you know Reddit or Twitter or in a Discord chat. You have to be willing and able to acknowledge the other players at the table so you can get to do your really yeah. cool combo. Yeah. And some of that means that you have to disrupt their resources and it's not going to make you friends. So you need to know how to deal with it politically and 
in a few episodes, we will do a politics episode. How to be a politician as a Johnny. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's going to be a good episode. But anyways, I think that is it for today. Yeah. Where can they find us on the social medias, Cam? All right. So you can find us on Twitter at uh, Inside Johnny's M1. Uh, we're super active on Twitter, or at least Akia is. He's yep. on there all the time talking to people. Uh, we have our tapped out. His is Akia. Mine's the kill switch. Uh, you can email us with any questions or cool ideas that you have, interesting combos you found. Yep. Uh, that'd be, we, that'd be yeah, really sick. We love to hear from people. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, inside Johnny's mind at Gmail. Johnny with a single N. And then we have a Facebook and a Reddit. Both of them, again, inside Johnny's mind. And uh, we would... Love to hear from you guys. We love interacting with the community and everything like that. It's one of the best parts, in my opinion. All righty, folks. Well, until next time, thanks for listening. I hope we've been a terrible influence on your playgroup. And uh, we'll see you next month. May you draw lands and spells. Bye.